Chapter Four, Part Two of Raffles: Further Adventures of the Amateur Cracksman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Kristen Hughes. Raffles: Further Adventures of the Amateur Cracksman by E. W. Horning. Chapter Four, The Last Laugh, Part Two. It went on, actually, until the forenoon only, but my endurance cannot be measured by the time, for to me every hour of it was an arctic night. Yet it cannot have been much after eleven when the ring came at the bell, which I had forgotten to tie up after all. But this was not the doctor, neither too well I knew was it the wanderer returned. Our bell was the pneumatic one, that tells you if the touch be light or heavy. The hand upon it now was tentative and shy." The owner of the hand I had never seen before. He was young and ragged, with one eye blank, but the other ablaze with some fell excitement, and straightway he burst into a low torrent of words, of which all I knew was that they were Italian, and therefore news of Raffles, if only I had known the language. But dumb show might help us somewhat, and in I dragged him, though against his will, a new alarm in his one wild eye. Non capisce he cried when I had him inside and had withstood the torrent. "'No, I'm bothered if I do,' I answered, guessing his question from his tone. "'Vostro amico,' he repeated over and over again, and then, "'Poco tempo, poco tempo, poco tempo!' For once in my life the classical education of my public school days was of real value. "'My pal, my pal, and no time to be lost!' I translated freely and flew for my hat." "'Ecco, signore!' cried the fellow, snatching the watch from my waistcoat pocket, and putting one black thumbnail on the long hand, the other on the numeral twelve. "'Mezzo giorno, poco tempo, poco tempo!' And again I seized his meaning, that it was twenty past eleven, and we must be there by twelve. But where? But where? It was maddening to be summoned like this, and not to know what had happened, nor to have any means of finding out.' but my presence of mind stood by me still. I was improving by seven-league strides, and I crammed my handkerchief between the drum and hammer of the bell before leaving. The doctor could ring now till he was black in the face, but I was not coming, and he need not think it. I half expected to find a hansom waiting, but there was none, and we had gone some distance down the Earl's Court Road before we got one. In fact, we had to run to the stand. Opposite is the church with the clock upon it, as everybody knows and at sight of the dial my companion had wrung his hands. It was close upon the half-hour. "'Poco tempo, pochissimo!' he wailed. "'Bloombri! Skewer!' He then cried to the cabman, "'Numero trentotto!' "'Bloomsbury Square!' I roared on my own account. "'I'll show you the house when we get there. Only drive like be damned!' My companion lay back gasping in his corner. The small glass told me that my own face was pretty red. "'A nice show!' I cried. "'And not a word you can tell me. "'Didn't you bring me a note?' "'I might have known by this time that he had not. "'Still, I went through the pantomime of riding with my finger on my cuff. "'But he shrugged and shook his head. "'Niente,' said he. "'Una questione de vita. De vita!' "'What's that?' I snapped, my early training coming in again. "'Say it slowly. Adante. Relentando.' Thank Italy for the stage instructions and the songs one used to murder. 
the fellow actually understood. Una questione di vita, or more, say, I shouted, and up went the trapdoor over our heads. Avanti, 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 cried the Italian, turning up his one-eyed face. Hell to leather, I translated, and double fare if you do it by twelve o'clock. But in the streets of London, how is one to know the time? In the Earl's Court Road, it had not been half-past, and at Barker's in High Street, it was but a minute later. A long half-mile a minute. That was going like the wind, and indeed we had done much of it at a gallop. But the next hundred yards took us five minutes by the next clock, and which was one to believe? I fell back upon my own old watch. It was my own, which made it eighteen minutes to the hour as we swung across the Serpentine Bridge, and by the quarter we were in the Bayswater Road, not up for once. "'Presto, presto,' my pale guide murmured. "'Efratatevi! Avanti!' Ten bob if you do it!' I cried through the trap, without the slightest notion of what we were to do. But it was una questione di vita, and vostro amico must and could only be my miserable raffles. What a very godsend is the perfect handsome to the man or woman in a hurry! It had been our great good fortune to jump into a perfect handsome. There was no choice. We had to take the first upon the rank, but it must have deserved its place with the rest nowhere. New tires, superb springs, a horse in a thousand, and a driver up to every trick of his trade. In and out we went, like a fast halfback at the rugby game, yet where the traffic was thinnest, there were we. And how he knew his way! At the Marble Arch he slipped out of the main stream, and so into Wigmore Street, then up and in and out and on, until I saw the gold tips of the museum palisade gleaming between the horse's ears in the sun. Plop, 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 tingling, ling, the bell and horseshoes, horseshoes and bell, until the colossal figure of C. J. Fox in a grimy toga, spelt Bloomsbury Square, with my watch still wanting three minutes to the hour. "'What number?' cried the good fellow overhead. "'Trentato, trentato,' said my guide, but he was looking to the right, and I bundled him out to show the house on foot. I had not half a sovereign after all, but I flung our dear driver a whole one instead, and only wished that it had been a hundred. Already the Italian had his latch-key in the door of thirty-eight and in another moment we were rushing up the narrow stairs of as dingy a London house as prejudiced countrymen can conceive. It was panelled, but it was dark and evil-smelling, and how we should have found our way even to the stairs, but for an unwholesome jet of yellow gas in the hall, I cannot myself imagine. However, up we went, pell-mell, to the right about on the half-landing, and so like a whirlwind into the drawing-room a few steps higher— there the gas was also burning behind closed shutters, and the scene is photographed upon my brain, though I cannot have looked upon it for a whole instant as I sprang at my leader's heels. This room also was panelled, and in the middle of the wall on our left, his hands lashed to a ring-bolt high above his head, his toes barely touching the floor, his neck pinioned by a strap passing through a smaller ring-bolt under either ear and every inch of him secured on the same principle, stood, or rather hung, all that was left of Raffles, for at the first glance I believed him dead. A black ruler gagged him, the ends lashed behind his neck, the blood upon it caked to bronze in the gaslight, and in front of him, ticking like a sledgehammer, its only hand upon the stroke of twelve, 
stood a simple, old-fashioned grandfather's clock, but not for half an instant longer, only until my guide could hurl himself upon it and send the whole thing crashing into the corner. An ear-splitting report accompanied the crash. A white cloud lifted from the fallen clock, and I saw a revolver smoking in a vice screwed below the dial, an arrangement of wires sprouting from the dial itself, and the single hand at once at its zenith and in contact with these. "'Tumble to it, Bunny?' He was alive. These were his first words. The Italian had the blood-caked ruler in his hand, and with his knife was reaching up to cut the thongs that lashed the hands. He was not tall enough. I seized him and lifted him up, then fell to work with my own knife upon the straps, and Raffles smiled faintly upon us through his blood-stains. "'I want you to tumble to it,' he whispered, "'the neatest thing in revenge I ever knew.' and another minute would have fixed it. I've been waiting for it twelve hours, watching the clock round, death at the end of the lap. Electric connection. Simple enough. Our hand only. Oh, Lord! We had cut the last strap. He could not stand. We supported him between us to a horsehair sofa, for the room was furnished. And I begged him not to speak while his one-eyed deliverer was at the door before Raffles recalled him with a sharp word in Italian. "'He wants to get me a drink, but that can wait,' said he, in a firmer voice. "'I shall enjoy it more when I've told you what happened. Don't let him go, Bunny. Put your back against the door. He's a decent soul, and it's lucky for me I got a word with him before they trussed me up. I promised to set him up in life, and I will, but I don't want him out of my sight for the moment.' "'If you squared him last night,' I exclaimed, "'why the blazes didn't he come to me till the eleventh hour?' "'Ah! I knew he'd have to cut it fine, "'though I hope not quite so fine as all that. "'But all's well that ends well, "'and I declare I don't feel so much the worse. "'I shall be sore about the gills for a bit. "'And what do you think?' "'He pointed to the long black ruler with the bronze stain. "'It lay upon the floor. "'He held out his hand for it, and I gave it to him.' "'The same one I gagged him with,' said Raffles, with his still ghastly smile. "'He was a bit of an artist, old Kobuchi, after all.' "'Now let's hear how you fell into his clutches,' said I briskly, for I was as anxious to hear as he seemed to tell me. Only for my part I could have waited until we were safe in the flat. "'I do want to get it off my chest, Bunny,' old Raffles admitted. "'And yet I can hardly tell you after all.' I followed your friend with the velvet eyes. I followed him all the way here. Of course, I came up to have a good look at the house when he'd let himself in. And damn if he hadn't left the door ajar. Who could resist that? I had pushed it half open and had just one foot on the mat when I got such a crack on the head as I hoped never to get again. When I came to my wits they were hauling me up to that ring-bolt by the hands, and old Kobuchi himself was bowing to me but how he got here I don't know yet. "'I can tell you that,' said I, and told how I had seen the Count for myself on the pavement underneath our windows. "'Moreover,' I continued, "'I saw him spot you, and five minutes after in Earl's Court Road I was told he'd driven off in a cab. He would see you following his man, drive home ahead, and catch you by having the door left open in the way you describe.' "'Well,' said Raffles, "'he deserved to catch me somehow.' for he'd come from Naples on purpose, ruler and all, and the ring-bolts were ready fixed. 
and even this house taken furnished for nothing else. He meant catching me before he'd done, and scoring me off in exactly the same way that I scored off him. Only going one better, of course. He told me so himself, sitting where I am sitting now at three o'clock this morning, and smoking a most abominable cigar that I've smelt ever since. It appears he sat twenty-four hours when I left him trussed up, but he said twelve would content him in my case, as there was certain death at the end of them, and I mightn't have enough life left to appreciate my end if he made it longer. But I wouldn't have trusted him if he could have got the clock to go twice round without firing off the pistol. He explained the whole mechanism of that to me. He had thought it all out on the vineyard I told you about, and then he asked if I remembered what he had promised me in the name of the Camorra. I only remembered some vague threats, but he was good enough to give me so many particulars of that institution that I could make a European reputation by exposing the whole show, if it wasn't for my unfortunate resemblance to that infernal rascal Raffles. Do you think they would know me at the yard, Bunny, after all this time? Upon my soul, I've a good mind to risk it. I offered no opinion on the point. How could it interest me, then? But interested I was in Raffles, never more so in my life. He had been tortured all night and half a day, yet he could sit and talk like this the moment we cut him down. He had been within a minute of his death, yet he was as full of life as ever, ill-treated and defeated at the best. He could still smile through his blood, as though the boot were on the other leg. I had imagined that I knew my Raffles at last. I was not likely so to flatter myself again. "'But what has happened to these villains?' I burst out, and my indignation was not only against them for their cruelty, but also against their victim for his phlegmatic attitude toward them. It was difficult to believe that this was Raffles. "'Oh,' said he, "'they were to go off to Italy instanter. They should be crossing now. But do listen to what I am telling you. It's interesting, my dear man. This old sinner Kobuchi turns out to have been no end of a boss in the Camorra. Says so himself.' one of the Capi Paranze, my boy, no less, and the Velvet Johnny a Giovanno Ornato Anglice, fresher. This fellow here was also in it, and I've sworn to protect him from them evermore. And it's just as I said, half the organ-grinders in London belong, and the whole lot of them were put on my tracks by secret instructions. This excellent youth manufactures iced poison on Saffron Hill when he's at home. And why on earth didn't he come to me quicker? because he couldn't talk to you, he could only fetch you, and it was as much as his life was worth to do that before our friends had departed. They were going by the eleven o'clock from Victoria, and that didn't leave much chance, but he certainly oughtn't to have run it as fine as he did. Still, you must remember that I had to fix things up with him in the fewest possible words, in a single minute that the other two were indiscreet enough to leave us alone together." The ragamuffin in question was watching us with all his solitary eye, as though he knew that we were discussing him. Suddenly he broke out in agonized accents, his hands clasped and a face so full of fear that every moment I expected to see him on his knees. But Raffles answered kindly, reassuringly. I could tell from his tone, and then turned to me with a compassionate shrug. He says he couldn't find the mansions, Bunny, and really it's not to be wondered at. I had only time to tell him to hunt you up and bring you here by hook or crook before twelve to-day. And after all, he has done that. But now the poor devil thinks you're riled with him, 
and that we'll give him away to the Camorra. "'Oh, it's not with him I'm riled,' I said frankly, "'but with those other blackguards, and, and with you, old chap, for taking it all as you do, while such infamous scoundrels have the last laugh, and are safely on their way to France.' Raffles looked up at me with a curiously open eye, an eye that I never saw when he was not in earnest. I fancied he did not like my last expression but one. After all, it was no laughing matter to him. "'But are they?' said he. "'I'm not so sure.' "'You said they were.' "'I said they should be. "'Didn't you hear them go?' "'I heard nothing but the clock all night. "'It was like Big Ben striking at the last, "'striking nine to the fellow on the drop. "'And in that open eye I saw at last "'a deep glimmer of the ordeal through which he had passed. "'But my dear old Raffles, "'if they're still on the premises—' The thought was too thrilling for a finished sentence. "'I hope they are,' he said grimly, going to the door. "'There's a gas on. Was that burning when you came in?' Now that I thought of it, yes, it had been. "'And there's a frightfully foul smell,' I added, as I followed Raffles down the stairs. He turned to me gravely with his hand upon the front-room door, and at the same moment I saw a coat with an astrakhan collar hanging on the pegs. "'They are in here, Bunny,' said he, and turned the handle. The door would only open a few inches, but a detestable odour came out, with a broad bar of yellow gaslight. Raffles put his handkerchief to his nose. I followed his example, signing to our ally to do the same, and in another minute we had all three squeezed into the room. The man with the yellow boots was lying against the door. The Count's great carcass sprawled upon the table— and at a glance it was evident that both men had been dead some hours. The old Camorrist had the stem of a liqueur-glass between his swollen blue fingers, one of which had been cut in the breakage, and the livid flesh was also brown with the last blood that it would ever shed. His face was on the table, the huge moustache projecting from under either leaden cheek, yet looking itself strangely alive. Broken bread and scraps of frozen macaroni lay upon the cloth, and at the bottom of two soup-plates and a tureen. The macaroni had a tinge of tomato, and there was a crimson dram left in the tumblers, with an empty fiasco to show whence it came. But near the great grey head upon the table, another liqueur-glass stood, unbroken, and still full of some white and stinking liquid. And near that a tiny silver flask— which made me recoil from Raffles as I had not from the dead, for I knew it to be his. "'Come out of this poisonous air,' he said sternly, "'and I will tell you how it has happened.' So we all three gathered together in the hall, but it was Raffles who stood nearest the street door, his back to it, his eyes upon us two. And though it was to me only that he spoke at first, he would pause from point to point and translate into Italian— for the benefit of the one-eyed alien to whom he owed his life. "'You probably don't even know the name, Bunny,' he began, "'of the deadliest poison yet known to science. "'It is cyanide of cacodyl, "'and I have carried that small flask of it about with me for months. "'Where I got it matters nothing. "'The whole point is that a mere sniff reduces flesh to clay. "'I have never had any opinion of suicide, as you know.' but I always felt it worth while to be forearmed against the very worst. Well, 
a bottle of this stuff is calculated to stiffen an ordinary room full of ordinary people within five minutes. And I remembered my flask when they had me as good as crucified in the small hours of this morning. I asked them to take it out of my pocket. I begged them to give me a drink before they left me. And what do you suppose they did? I thought of many things, but suggested none, while Raffles turned this much of his statement into sufficiently fluent Italian. But when he faced me again, his face was still flaming. "'That beast Corbucci,' said he, "'how can I pity him? He took the flask, he would give me none. He flicked me in the face instead. My idea was that he at least should go with me, to sell my life as dearly as that.' and a sniff would have settled us both. But no, he must tantalize and torment me. He thought it brandy. He must take it downstairs to drink to my destruction. Can you have any pity for a hound like that? Let us go, I said at last, hoarsely, as Raffles finished speaking in Italian, and his second listener stood open-mouthed. We will go, said Raffles and we will chance being seen. If the worst comes to the worst, this good chap will prove that I have been tied up since one o'clock this morning, and the medical evidence will decide how long those dogs have been dead. But the worst did not come to the worst. More power to my unforgotten friend the cabman, who never came forward to say what manner of men he had driven to Bloomsbury Square at top speed on the very day upon which the tragedy was discovered there, or whence he had driven them. To be sure, they had not behaved like murderers, whereas the evidence at the inquest all went to show that the defunct Corbucci was little better. His reputation, which transpired with his identity, was that of a libertine and a renegade, while the infernal apparatus upstairs revealed the fiendish art of the anarchist to boot. The inquiry resulted eventually in an open verdict, and was chiefly instrumental in killing such compassion— as is usually felt for the dead who die in their sins. But Raffles would not have passed this title for this tale. End of chapter 4, part 2